Hey everyone, welcome to the Launch and Scale podcast. This is episode five and I'm Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by the Launch and Scale program, which if you are looking for a done with you program, that is a proven step-by-step system and support that we have put together to get you the support that you need throughout your product launch, be sure to head over to kirsten.com schedule and book a strategy session with myself or my team where we're going to be able to help you map out your roadmap for your campaign and ultimately see if the program is a right fit to get you the support you need to smash your product launch goals. In this episode, we are taking a look at, uh, essentially, this is really our first interview that we're doing for Launch and Scale. And uh, I've been friends with Marcus for the last four years. Marcus Rader is the CEO and co-founder of Hostaway, which is a enterprise solution in the travel space. We'll get into that a little bit more, but really what this interview focuses on is how they were able to um, go into a market, uh, property managers, and assess where the solution is and ultimately create a MVP around customer needs and customer interviews. And so we're going to talk about that process of how he went from the conception of an idea to an MVP and really how he was able to scale that very quickly over the last two years to a company that has raised multiple millions of dollars um, through like VC and angel funding, but they're now, they work out of five different countries with over 38 employees and growing. So Hostaway is now one of the fastest growing enterprise tech solutions in the travel space. And I'm really stoked to to cover this interview because it does really cover that fast growth period and how he was able to iterate um, based on customer feedback in the field. And so we have a lot of juicy tidbits to, um, to go into it. So I'm really stoked to launch and kick off our official first interview of the podcast. If you've been a listener for a while, you will know that this show has evolved from crowdfunding uncut where that was primarily interview focused. And what I'm looking to do with this show is have a range of teaching you stuff, answering your questions, but also bringing on valuable guests from different niches that have um, either great results or they're doing great things. And I have Marcus Rader from Hostaway, which I'll uh, get into what Hostaway is in, in a second. But Marcus and I have known each other for about four years now, I think. Mm-hmm. And we met when mutual friends brought us to a baseball game. And ever since then, we've just been friends hanging out in the startup space. And what's been really amazing about Marcus is they I've seen him move to Toronto from Finland and start host away from nothing to over a two year period, maybe two and a half, bring host away from nothing to one of the fastest growing tech travel enterprise solution softwares on the internet and in the world, which is just fascinating to see his journey. And I thought, what better way to kick off our first interview of the show than get into the mind of someone who has taken someone, taken uh, something from nothing to 38 employees in five different spots over the last two years. So uh, Marcus, I'm really stoked to have an officially recorded conversation with you in, instead of just over beer. So welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the, on the show. Yeah, it's so good. So let's, um, let's give some context. What is Hostaway? So Hostaway is a software as a service uh, platform for vacation rental property managers. So software as a service is, uh, is a concept where you buy a piece of software as a subscription model. Uh, typical examples include Salesforce, uh, HubSpot, Zendesk, um, even Stripe. Uh, 
And uh, what our software does, it, uh, it allows vacation rental property managers to grow faster. So through our one-in-all solution that's completely uh, cloud-based, we connect to their partners, Airbnb, Booker.com, HomeAway, VRBO, TripAdvisor, Expedia. And within our platform, they manage all their stakeholders. So they manage their guests, they manage their cleaners, they manage their real estate investors, they manage their staff, they make sure their uh, response times and uh, ratings are good. And they, of course, do financial reporting as well. So pretty much everything needed to run a vacation rental business can be done through our platform. And I know that, so I used to host on Airbnb, but it was my living room, so I wouldn't be a prime customer for you. But um, just to do context, if I were someone that had multiple properties and multiple listings on Airbnb, I want to maximize my listings by posting on Expedia, uh, a ton, like booking.com, a ton of other platforms. But imagine trying to manage five or six different booking platforms for five plus listings. It gets to be a freaking nightmare. Like it's like managing multiple calendars. So your solution to be able to manage that all on one platform is phenomenal. So who is, I, I know when you first started with this, you weren't so heavy on the enterprise, but you were trying to do more like smaller property managers and that, that evolved. Who would you say is your ideal customer now that uses Hostaway? So right now we only target uh, what we consider professional property managers. But um, like, like a lot of real estate business, the term professional is, uh, is a bit vague. For example, there's a lot of real estate brokers who actually have another job on the side or maybe they're real estate brokers on weekends only. Um, so the way, way I define it is uh, those who, who consider their time valuable. So let's say they spend, they spend an hour or 10 hours. They have an actual price on that because that's what businesses have. When you, when you take in employees and you ask them to spend 10 hours on something that's actual money away from your bank account and if our software lowers that 10 hours into just 30 minutes that's nine and a half hours saved time and that's why you when you were renting out your uh, spare room probably the 15 minutes uh, a week you spent on it you didn't consider yourself losing a single dollar on that 15 minutes but if you had to pay someone or even a team of 10 people, their salaries for a full-time job, that would be a substantial amount of money. And if you can save them time and focus on growing your business instead, that's where the value of software like ours really come in. Mm -hmm. And when, so taking this back, how did you get the idea for HostAway to begin with? Um, it was, um, I'm, I'm not really a strong believer in business ideas. Um, first of all, uh, there's not many success stories of someone who had a great idea and then decided to implement it and it became a massive business. Usually that, those ideas go through uh, a lot of iterations. And, um, and on the other hand, some of the most brilliant ideas I've ever heard when it comes to business, they never become a success at all or they don't even try. They're just an idea. And... Um, and fortunately, I, I knew that when I was uh, starting out. I knew that ideas are worthless. And uh, I had a couple of different ideas, uh, but uh, what I really focused on before fully committing to this, uh, what I considered a project back then, was, uh, was doing extensive re research, uh, checking, uh, checking overall business trends, macro trends, 
and then doing very in-depth interviews with, uh, with actually property management companies in the industry, asking them everything from uh, what, what do they first do when they wake up to what are their biggest challenges. And uh, it wasn't very solutions oriented. It was more focused on what, what area do we want to be in and uh, then we started looking at the industry as a whole. Uh, what is Airbnb doing? What, what do we expect to happen? Can we find any proof on this? Can we find any scientific papers proving that our theory is right? And when we had enough evidence and we had, uh, had enough research done, we decided to do an MVP. And, uh, and eventually that led us on to a couple of iterations and, and funding rounds and... Uh, to get where we are today. So when you focused on interviewing property management companies, even taking it a step back, did it start with you deciding you wanted to start your own company and then looking for trends and then narrowing down on the property management company type? Or did you just know that you wanted to go after property managers? I, I gave it a lot of thought. I think it was more, more about me wanting to start a company than, than actually uh, finding an opportunity. So I, I knew there was a million opportunities out there. I just wanted to choose the right one. So it wasn't so that an opportunity presented itself and then I evaluated whether I take it or not. No, I was actively looking for opportunities. And, and mar the market that I found was big enough, growing fast enough, going through a lot of changes and consolidation. And that's why I decided to start a company in exactly this industry, in this this okay. So how did you know that this was the right direction for you? Um, it comes, it came actually from personal interest. A lot of the, the trends that we're, we're seeing in the world are, uh, are very similar to my own experience. Uh, for example, one of the trends is uh, remote work. People like to work in different locations. And if I'm not wrong, Kirsten, you have also Yes. You don't spend all your days at the same office. You tend to work from different locations around the world. Um, I have moved around, lived in many countries, and I, I know that you need flexible living solutions. If you go somewhere for a couple of months, you can't rent a place for a full year. Mm -hmm. um, another major trend is, uh, is travel. There's a massive uh, middle class growing, uh, even though... People always say the middle class is dying out. Actually, globally, it's, it's growing at a massive pace. There's a, there's a huge amount of people, especially in populous countries like, uh, like China and India, that are traveling. And, um, and that is a trend that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, um, and back when we started a couple of years ago, it was also not going anywhere. And it turns out that all the predictions are correct. People are traveling more and more. So um, those were the trends that we, we found evidence of and that we believed in. But it, yeah, it came out of personal interest. I like travel. I like living in different places. That is, honestly, I think that's so important because if you are going to de devote so much of your time to build something, it has to be something you have personal interest in or else you may not be driven as hard to do the thing. That's, uh, that's very true on, on one hand. Um, and I, some of the most successful founders that I've met, they always have a, have a personal interest. If you can align that with somehow making the world a better place, that's usually really 
really a nice touch as well. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't found that alignment. I don't know how making business operations more efficient will, for example, uh, reduce child poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but having somewhat of an interest, whether it's interest in technology or finances, that uh, that definitely helps. So okay. if you if you don't care about money, then just don't start an accounting software company. For sure. And there's something I, I want to clarify. I know you're not you don't believe in business ideas, but when you narrowed it down to property management companies, something in flexible living space and solutions. Did you have the idea for HostAway? Like you knew in your mind it was this hosting platform for property managers or did you just decide to go talk to property managers and figure out what was the one thing they really needed the most help with and then the solution was born out of their feedback? Like which of those were you? Um, not actually neither. Uh, we, we did want to do exactly what they, um, they were asking for. We, they, they had multiple problems and we, we had a couple of different solutions for that, but, um, those solutions were pretty difficult to build. And when we did more research, we found out that every single company on the earth that has tried has failed in building those solutions. Um, but, and by failed, meaning that they're, they only done a couple of iterations and maybe in a few years they'll have a good solution in place. So we decided to simplify it as much as possible and go very heavy on marketing and sales first while building the, the MVP um, because it's uh, a, lot of, a lot of people think they need a, they need a product in order to sell it. But well, as, as you know, in the crowdfunding space, it can be the exact opposite. First you sell it, then you see if you can make the product. And, uh, and that's what we did. And we, we were actually quite successful with our first iteration. We got a, we got a bunch of customers. One of the, the common breaking points of, uh, of young software startups is when you, when you talk to customers and they're willing to pay for a solution and then you provide the solution and suddenly they're not willing to give you any money. Um, for, for us, actually, that, uh, we did not have that problem. We, our first customer suggested to us that how about they start paying us so that we can afford to improve the software, which was a nice thing because we didn't plan at that point to, to charge money for it. Uh, when we did start charging money for it, we quickly got up to, to about 100 customers and found out that the target audience that we have, they're way too uh, demanding and they're not tech savvy enough to, for example, read documentation for a fairly complex solution. Um, and at the price that they're paying that we were charging, um, we just didn't see any way this business could scale. Um, but uh, what we did find out is that there's um, a lot of companies out there with much higher demands, but they're also willing to pay for it. And that comes back to what I said earlier. If you, if you value one hour of your time as zero dollars, probably any software is going to be expensive. But if you have to pay a $20 salary to someone else, suddenly one hour is worth exactly $20. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when we started uh, targeting those customers. Okay. I want to clarify something. Um, did you build an MVP and then focus on sales? Well, or I think... Um, sell and then MVP. I, I think um, a lot of companies say... I, I th- well, Facebook is a good example. Um, if, you, 
if you launch a product and it doesn't work, just launch it again. And I think Facebook did seven launches, and that's a fairly common story. Uh, but it's, it's not actually the truth. The truth is that it's somewhere in between. There's not an exact launch. You, you constantly do sales, marketing, uh, product development, market research, and um, at the pace that you're going, where you basically reinvent the company every single day, uh, you can't really define lines. Sometimes you find that you're, you're pitching an idea that was, that's already two days old, and sometimes you find that you sold a solution that's only going to be available tomorrow. And, uh, but by doing these quick iterations, you can't really draw any lines. But if you do enough of them, eventually you're going to find a recipe that scales, which right. is all that matters when you're, when you're dealing with software. Because something that it's not very clear to me is that you mentioned before that most, actually every software solution in your space that has tried to do what you guys are doing has failed. So you focus on sales and marketing. But then you go on to say um, that you actually had to have a customer offer to pay you and then you, you got 100 people. So like where, where's the line with that? That's uh, what I was trying to say. The line is very, very thin. And I, I wouldn't say that, uh, that uh, our competitors have, uh, have failed. It was more that we, we found one niche within a niche market that we, was completely uncatered to. And, um, and that's the first one we attacked um, and then found out exactly the reason why, why it's uncatered to. A bit like you find a $100 bill lying on the street and you wonder why nobody picked it up. Then you pick it up and find out it's fake. Yeah. And I find too, um, I think what you're getting at is you focused on developing a very, very, very basic and simple MVP that did the job instead of focusing on building this amazing, beautiful product right away, you did bare minimum to do the job and then focused on sales and then use sales to gradually improve it as opposed to the bloat of having like product devs create, design something amazing and not focus on sales right away. That's uh, that's very, very true. Um, and it's, it's sometimes hard to, I mean, if you want to build a very simple product, um, then you can take it quickly to market, you can quickly sell it. But that also means that if it's like a fidget spinner, that's very simple to build. And when it first came out, it was a big success, but suddenly you had a thousand other companies producing them and the price plummeted and now they're worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to build something very complex, there's a certain threshold at, uh, you know, you need to invest a certain amount of time and money in order to make that complex solution work. Mm-hmm. But what often happens is once you're ready with that complex solution, nobody wants it or they don't want it for the purpose you thought or they don't want to pay what you thought. Or the other thing happens, which is exactly what happened to you, is you found out very quickly that you were actually serving the wrong kind of, not the wrong kind of person, but the person at a price point that wouldn't allow you to scale. So. The other um, point that I want you guys to take away from this listening is that you don't want to focus on creating this beautiful, amazing, full solution product right off the bat. You need to focus on getting the job done and bringing an MVP to market because you're going to take real customer feedback, paying customer feedback, customers that are using your product or your software that are going to help you create the iterations for that customer 
ahead of time so that you can really build onto the product as you, as you grow as a company. Yeah. And something that, uh, that's, that's a great summary right there. And, uh, and something that I, I find a lot when I talk to people who actually want to become entrepreneurs that have a good idea and have, have all the, the basic skills needed. Um, they tend to do exactly the same thing that, uh, that I did as well, uh, which is set up these mental barriers. For example, if I just had, uh, had a million dollars or if I just had a development team or if I just had, had uh, a co-founder and they, um, they focus so much on that that they, they, they bind themselves down. They can never get to the next stage. And, um, and that's actually what took us forward instead of looking at what, what do we want to become in the end and how do we get there? We were looking at, okay, what is the next step? Can we, can we get a million? Can we hire 10 developers? No. Okay, well, what can we do? Realistically, what can we do? And where would that take us? And that's exactly what we did. We, we found out that, okay, there's, there's a hundred things that we should do, but if we just do three of them, we'll net, get to the next stage. And if all three of those work out fine, um, then we can get enough resources to do 10 more. And if those work out five, fine, then we can do the 90 others. And that's a much, uh, much nicer approach because that way you actually can move forward with something more tangible and realistic. No, that makes so much sense. How did you find, like, if you have a hundred things, how do you decide what those three are? Um, in reality, it's, um, in hindsight, it's always going to be those three, but in practice you have to try 20 of them. And, uh, um, and if you're successful at the end, you can go back and say, Oh, I was so good. I looked at a list of a hundred things and I, I managed to pick the three that really mattered. Um, in reality, I, I haven't really seen that with, with anyone. You have to try a little bit. And, uh, I think luck is a big factor there. Yeah. Um, trying to do as much as possible, as many different things as possible and dismiss the opportunities, try to get any proof, or disproof of concept as fast as possible so that you can move on to the next thing and constantly hope that you happen to stumble upon the right one and that will bring you to the next stage. Great. And at what point, it sounds like when you started you were bootstrapping to an extent, but at what point did you decide that you needed to go after investment? Uh, I think it was at the point when I wanted to pay for nice things in life, like rent and food, uh, electricity and heating. They are perhaps luxuries, Maybe. but especially rent and food is, uh, something that's really nice to have. Um, something that I, I definitely knew I did not want to do is have a job and then try to set up a business on the side, uh, because I felt that then I, I wouldn't be committed to the job and I wouldn't be committed to my business. So I wanted to make sure I put myself in a position where I'm 100% committed because um, I, I have not seen successful side projects. I have, I have seen people who are very determined to create a business and have managed to create it and are fully committed and people who have been determined and failed. That's a more common story but I haven't met many people who have done a side project that turned into a, a massive success. So you go full-time with Hostaway. Did you quit your job to go full-time? Did you like, 
what it, did you have investment going into Hostaway? No, I and I quit I'll my work. I quit my job and moved to a new country uh, with a lot of expenses and uh, and no no job. So it was very easy for me to to start a company because I didn't have to give anything up because when I arrived in Canada, I didn't have anything to give up. Right. So it was just savings for a little bit and then you looked for investment essentially and then it worked out. Yes, it, okay. did, uh, it did work out. So coming from Finland to Toronto, Canada, um, where do your investors come from? Is it primarily Finnish investors or have you been able to tap into North American market too? Um, I haven't spoken to many U.S. investors yet. I have a fair bit of, uh, of experience in, in the Canadian investor landscape. It's worth noting that I, I moved here four years ago and most of the VCs in Toronto are only two or three years old. And um, so there's, there wasn't, wasn't a lot of, of investors even around here. And, um, but based on the conversations I had back then, I found that a lot of them really, really want stable businesses, which I didn't want to build a stable business. I wanted to build a fast growth business, which is mm -hmm. the opposite of stable. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that I, I managed at least so far to, to do a fairly good job at it. Yes. Um, but, uh, but it's a very risky route for investors. And uh, so far we've been relying on uh, Finnish investors through mostly through networks and, uh, and cold calling as well. Right. But um, they, they have a lot of success. I mean, Toronto, unfortunately, doesn't have a single company worth more than a billion. Uh, and that's younger than 10 years, yeah. which, is, which is a shame. And then compared to Finland, which is, or Helsinki, that's, that's only 1 million people. And they have, uh, what is it, four or $5 billion companies that yeah. these VCs have, uh, have managed to even cash out on. So in Finland, I know that, uh, well, I learned from your tech TO talk that Angry Birds came from Finland. What are some other heavy hitters that have come from Finland? Uh, there's, there's lots of, uh, of let's say, mid-sized, but um, I think, uh, was it three years ago, the Super Bowl, the most expensive ad was a Finnish tech startup. Um, unfortunately, it was also in the same space as Angry Birds. It was uh, mobile games. It was a clash of clans. Um, there's, there's many others. Uh, one of my favorite is the, the biggest music educator in the world, uh, Usician. I think they have a hundred million users now. It's basically mm -hmm. a mobile app that allows you to learn how to, how to play any instrument, uh, as a game. It's awesome. Uh, I, I use yeah. <laughs> really? I now play guitar oh. very badly, but I play guitar. That's yeah. nice. Is Usician good to you? He, they are he, they are very good. Yes, I'm like, oh, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. and there's uh, there's a lot uh, also in the in the region, not specifically Finland, um, but for example in in Sweden and Estonia, there's a couple of of pretty heavy hitters like uh, Skype and uh, and uh, Spotify. So knowing that Canada VC is a little. Um, they're risk adverse a little bit. They want more established companies, but Finland, because so many fast growth, massive companies have come out of it. Um, 
Do you see a cultural difference in how investors treat your company between Finland and Canada? Um, I think for most VCs, they don't really have the luxury to, to choose their, their investments. They have certain criteria they need to meet. Um, and if they, they try to go with what they, what they think is good based on numbers or something, they later on reiterate and come up with more strict profiles. Um, and um, so, for example, if they, if they only invest in technology related to health, then doesn't matter if we're the best company in the world, they can't invest in us because we're not into health. Um, and if they only invest in, uh, in US-based companies, then they can't invest in us because we're based in Finland. Um, but outside of that, I think, uh, I think definitely the, the VC landscape in Toronto has, has moved uh, massively forward. Mm -hmm. I was just, uh, just at Collision and my, all my days were filled with VC meetings, most from, uh, from Toronto. And, um, and the feedback was good and they also seemed to have caught up. They were very professional, asking the right questions. Um, it felt... Uh, like they were trying to sell themselves as an investor, just like it should be. Excellent. Can you tell me about how you got your first investor? Doesn't uh, have to be VC, just first yeah, investor. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the VC. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, I, I remember once I asked my, my father, um, I, I felt really good and I asked my father, hey, how did you, what, why am I so lucky? Why does everything go right for me? And, uh, and he said, you know what? That's, you're just fooling yourself. You're not lucky. You've been planting these seeds for so many years, and most of them died, uh, but now some of them are giving fruit, and that's not luck. That's, that's just planting enough seeds. Um, so when I, when I lived in Amsterdam, I went to uh, online marketing conference in Germany mm -hmm. and there I happened to see a guy and when I saw him I thought well he doesn't look German or British he looks very Finnish so I went up to him and said in Finnish sorry are you from Finland and he said yes I am and that's how I met one guy who later on um, turned out to introduce me to our angel investor who got so excited about the project that um, that he he gave us that uh, that sweet salary for paying <laughs> rent and um, and food, but more importantly, he he helped. He's actively working in the company, and uh, and he's helping us a lot in strategic strategic uh, things in finances, and has helped us find other investors as well. So how? But yeah. Did that conversation happen? Like you meet the Finnish guy at a conference and then how does he suddenly, not suddenly, but he introduces you to someone. So tell me about that. Did you ask, were you doing, uh, going around your network, looking for connections? Did he just know what you worked on and said it just happened organically? You're like, what? That's a really good question. I think if I would have to reproduce that now, I don't know if that even would be possible and I, I don't think I can give any advice it's exactly like you said I think he asked me what I'm doing or maybe I I posted something on Facebook and he reached out and said hey this sounds interesting I could talk to you 
And then, then they said, hey, I actually know someone who want to buy the product. And I was, I think our meeting was even set up so that I was supposed to sell the product, but I happened to sell the idea of the, the company instead then. Okay. And that's, uh, that's what led to it. But how to find an angel investor, I think uh, that's, that's going to be very hard. I yeah. think if you go out to your network and ask, that's probably the wrong question. A bit like, like asking your parents if you can move in, move back in with them. It's something that they don't want and you don't want to do that. Um, and it's, yeah, usually not a good outcome. So what is the right question then if you're looking for an angel investor? Oh, I wish I, wish I knew how to find an angel. Actually, yeah, um, there is um, there's a network in Toronto. I think it's called Maple Leafs Angels. Yeah, Maple Leaf Angels. Yep. Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a lot of those. And uh, of course, there's things like uh, Dragon's Den as well. But that's, uh, that's, yeah, Shark Tank. And those are... But those are more for companies. Well, they, they want to put on a good show. So usually the companies that are, end up there are actually not just starting yeah. out. They are, they are, for example, seasoned entrepreneurs who have done this many times before. So maybe the uh, question is more, if you had to go out and find an investor tomorrow, which this is your job now, how would you go and find a new investor? Um, for a new company, I would uh, definitely not go out and find an investor. Um, I would do everything I can to, to set up the company for, for growth and by taking the smallest steps possible. Um, for example, if I speak to 100 people, how many have the problem that I'm trying to solve? And then let's say it's 40 out of them how many of them would be interested in hearing and talking about my solution? And then how many of those would be, in theory, willing to pay something? If you can find yourself 10, then see what would be the shortest way to build that solution and then test them on whether they're able to buy and pay for that. And if you're able to do those steps, you're able to move forward. And, um, and it's, yeah... I think we could have done a lot of things differently and faster and better. But on the other hand, we invested heavily in the, in the technology and into the research part, which is now paying, paying off. So it's, uh, it's very hard to go, go and say that we, did, we could have done things better. There's a million things we could have done better. But then maybe if we had done those things, other things would have failed. Makes sense. My last topic I want to talk about is the pivot from, I think it was the $9 a month solo person you were going after to now enterprise solution. Um, when you realized that your pricing structure didn't make sense for where you wanted to take this, how did you start to pivot toward the higher end solutions? Very good. Uh, good question. Um, we, I remember it was, um, we had a long, hard meeting, I think three or four days when we really evaluated uh, the market size and the options. We tried to figure out, can we automate certain parts of the process? What are the, the challenges? And eventually we decided that, I, I think even at that stage, we realized that we don't have enough time or money. We, we have one shot at making this happen. 
And, uh, but if we don't do it, we're probably going to fail anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we made that decision. It was one of the most stressful, uh, stressful summers, especially for the development team, which back then was three people, mm-hmm. uh, to build all the features. And, um, and yeah, we did a decision in May and we could confirm that things looked good by September, November. But when things look good, that usually means that it feels good. It doesn't show up on the bank account yet. Now, uh, feeling good doesn't pay anyone's salary either, which is a, a problem when people want a salary. It doesn't matter how good it feels. Yeah. But, but sometimes that's what you have to go with. And to us, it felt good. And we just had to sell the idea that it feels so good that in a couple of months we'll see some money on the bank account. And that's exactly what happened. So we were able to, to scale up our, our product or, or change it in a way so that bigger companies were able to utilize it and pay more for it. I can't imagine that being an easy conversation where you decide internally to pivot away from something that's already proven to make revenue, have to go to your VCs or your board of directors and say, this is the move we want to make. I can't imagine that was an easy conversation. Yeah, fortunately, it, uh, we didn't have to do that at that stage. Uh, okay, we cool. were so early on um, that, that there wasn't really pressure. But of course, for us, it was, it was massive pressure because we, we knew that our current business is not going to take us to the next stage. And we have to make this change, but it's going to destroy a lot of what we built. Mm-hmm. And what nobody, what nobody told us at that point is that the experience that we gained in the, in the first couple of tries is going to make everything so much easier. So we actually thought it was going to be harder than it eventually was. But huh. it would have been nice to have an outsider to come and say, look, you built this business already a couple of times. Now you need to rebuild it from scratch. It's going to be much easier. But it sure didn't feel like that when we made the decision. When did you... No. The, can you go back to a moment when you realized, I think we made the right decision? Like, when did that happen? I think, um, for me, it was when, I don't know, I had a, I had a realization one day. I don't even remember when it, when it was, at what stage when I realized that, uh, that we have gone from being an idea to being a startup, to struggling to survive, to be a company where we are in charge. We are not going to go bankrupt because we have the flexibility to make changes necessary, whatever happens. And that was one of the happiest days in my life because before that I had been constantly focusing on when are we running out of money? Yeah. And, and the funny thing with a runway and with, with fast growing revenues is that things change every day, but you can also make future plans and then change them later on based on what happened yesterday when you have the actual information. And that way you can adjust your own runway depending on how things are going. So you would say this pivot gave you confidence to, like, to make massive business changes in the future where necessary. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, um, but it's, 
I would not look forward to doing a, a pivot anytime soon because it's, uh, it's a lot easier when you don't have employees, when you don't have customers who rely on your product. Uh, you can make a lot of changes and more importantly, you can make mistakes. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but once you have customers who rely on your product and once you have employees who rely on either your leadership or in some cases maybe rely on getting a paycheck or I don't know what what employees appreciate more, um, then you can't just go around making a bunch of mistakes all the time and testing things out because it's, yeah, it can upset a lot of people. So the changes have to be better planned and they have to be executed way better as you grow. Yeah, well said. Um, what's next for Hostaway then? Oh, that's exciting. I wish I could tell you. Yeah, um, but right. we, have, uh, we have a couple of exciting uh, announcements coming up and um, you can see them on our, on our social media in the upcoming months. Excellent. It's funny because when it's not a recorded conversation, we, when we go for a beer, maybe over the Raptors game on Friday, maybe I can find out from you. But anyway, uh, leave that for another conversation. So this has been awesome. Um, I think I like to end this off with, do you have any, um, any famous last words or a piece of advice for your younger self? I've been Googling a lot on how to hire and recruit the right people. And apparently that's something you're supposed to ask at a job interview. And I always thought that it's funny because nobody's asked me that question. Um, no, no, I really don't have any advice for my younger self. I wish I, wish I could say be more confident or... Um, yeah, take charge and move forward at full speed. But that's pretty much what I've been doing anyway. <laughs> it's, yeah, but uh, still uh, what people need to hear. Yeah, I, I mean, I would like to give myself the advice to be more mature, but I also know that if someone from the future would come and tell me now, hey, you need to be more mature or, or do things in a more effective way, then I wouldn't really believe them. And even if I did, I, didn't, I wouldn't know what that means or what to do. So um, hopefully I, one day I'll be able to say that I can give advice to my 10-year younger self. Well, we all have lots to learn, right? So um, well, I'm going to wrap this here. If anyone listening wants to learn a bit more about what you guys are doing, what is a good spot uh, like to send them? The best spot and the best approach here, if you want to learn uh, how to be amazing at life, is to go to hostaway.com and look at the open jobs positions. Find the one you like, and I guarantee you will find satisfaction. I agree. It's a fantastic company to work for. And you guys are hiring for virtually every position <laughs> right yes, now. Every yes. position everywhere. That wraps up another interview. Thank you so much for listening. If you are planning a product launch on Kickstarter, I want to know if that platform is right for you for your product launch goals, whether you are just starting and this is your first product or you are a current brand and want to see how Kickstarter can help you build your audience and get your brand in front of more customers to really give you more um, street cred and momentum, really help you uh, build as a brand, then you should head over to kirsten.com slash schedule and book a free strategy session with myself and my team to really look at what your product launch goals are and your, your branding needs essentially to see what we can do to help you 
uh, build your audience. Apart from that, uh, this wraps up another episode. And because my name is so hard to spell, um, you should grab a pen and paper because how you spell it is K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N. So again, to schedule a free consult with our team, please go to kirsten.com slash schedule. And there will be a link in the, des- in the description in the show notes, which you can get at kirsten.com slash LS05. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.